Thank you, guys. Amen. Father, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds right now to not just hear words from a man, but to hear your living word with crystal clarity this morning. Jesus, right now we say yes to you before we know what it is that you're going to put your thumb on in our life. We say we want to obey you. Our hearts are open to hear what you have to say through your word. So, Father, I thank you that you are going to make your word living and active one more time. And you are going to transform us by your truth. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. If you have a a Bible with you or next to you, grab it and lift it up real high. If you didn't bring one, quickly steal one from your neighbor. You can take credit for it. If uh, you don't have a Bible with you, uh, get close to somebody who has one or one on their phone or something. Uh, It is your job to bring your Bible with you. You're going to need it. It's my job to make sure that you need it. And uh, so if you would uh, grab your Bible with me, turn to Philippians. Uh, We'll be continuing in our series through the book of Philippians, entitled Fighting for Joy. Today we're looking at fighting for joy, a lifestyle of humility. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5 of chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Last week as we were looking about the teachings that Paul was given to us and the word that Jesus was given to us through Paul on joy, I gave you a mental picture of sitting on the edge of the Grand Canyon, taking in the beautiful scenery of the Grand Canyon there before you, and it's just like life or a circumstance to come and park a big, old, rusty, nasty Winnebago right in front of your view. Uh, Some of you latched on to that visual and you came up sharing with me that you have a Winnebago in your life and you were even calling it out as a Winnebago. And we saw that God doesn't always remove that obstacle, that blockage, that thing that's in the way, but we can move ourselves to see around what God is doing. God's been working in your life. Some of you said, you know, if it wasn't for that Winnebago, I, I wouldn't have been able to see how great God was. Someone else came up to me this week and said, you know what, if I can get on top of that Winnebago, I can see the Grand Canyon better. I think God wants me to get on top of this thing. 
I had somebody else say, you know what? I think the person driving that challenge in my life didn't intend on it. If I would go talk to that person, maybe it's a blessing for them and for me to see what's going on. The fact of the matter is that having joy is not denying that tough things happen in life. I want you to hear today that for us to have the joy of the Lord, it's not saying there will be no challenges. In fact, there's a guarantee you will have problems. You will have a challenge in life. In fact, the joy of the Lord being your strength is the very need you have when there is a challenge in your life. This morning, I want us to not pretend that life doesn't give us tough things. I want us to embrace it and say that maybe God wants to, in spite of and even through the challenges, challenges give us a glimpse of his workings that will bring joy into our heart. Sometimes there's joy in the church that looks like joy, but it's really not joy of the Lord. As we look at having the joy of the Lord, and through this passage of Scripture, we'll see that a life of humility opens the door for joy to come in. There's a lot of things that look like humility that's not really humility. I remember it was when I was first married. It was in that first week of marriage. It was even that first couple days of marriage. My wife was cooking me the very first meal. Now, I'm going to need somebody to pray for me that I don't get myself in trouble here. I'm going to ask for uh, forgiveness instead of permission. Sometimes that's easier. No, I've already talked with her. It's okay to share this. I'm there, and and she's going to cook me the very first meal. I'm in this 300-square-foot apartment on Grand Avenue right there at Olivet, and, and Carrie is cooking potato soup the first meal of our marriage. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Potato soup was the signature dish of her family. And so on Christmas Eve, they'd have potato soup. On somebody's birthday, you'd have potato soup. I mean, this is the pinnacle, the highlight of the, the, the Williams family tradition. And they would cook potato soup. So Carrie's excited and she prepares the potato soup. And I'm sitting down and, and I take my spoon and I dive into that bowl of soup. And I put that bite into my mouth. And immediately I have enough wisdom to not let my face declare what my taste buds are feeling at that moment. And I thought, well, maybe not everybody cooks potato soup the same way, and so I'll just go in for a second bite. And so I swallow that one down, and I go in and get another bite, and I put it in my mouth, and and I didn't let my face show what my taste buds were thinking. And so I continue to eat bite after bite, and then Carrie sat down after she had got everything ready, and she dug into the soup, and she put it in her mouth, and she said, oh, no. At this moment, I was a little bit relieved that this wasn't the normal game plan. What I didn't recognize at this point was, is when Carrie saw that the potato soup was not thickening the way it should, she just kept adding more and more flour to make it thicker. But what she didn't realize all along, she didn't add any flour. It was powdered sugar that she was dumping into the potato soup. And and if you know me at all, you know that I love candy, and the best kind of candy in the world is gas station candy. And if you wonder what that is, it's the kind you buy at the gas station. I don't know. It's just good sugary stuff. But I didn't really like candied potato soup. And as I put one spoon in into my mouth and I kept eating, I was relieved to find out, even though it looked like potato soup, even though it mimicked everything about potato soup, this was not the real deal. Well, to this day, Carrie has never done that again. She's a tremendous cook, uh, partly because I took a huge sticker and put it on the flour jar and said, flour, and then one that said powdered sugar. But any of us could make those type of mistakes when it comes to cooking, but the 
reality is, I think this has a lot to say to us about the things that look like joy, that look like humility, but when you begin to taste it in life, it is not at all what it is supposed to be. We see here that Paul is teaching us some things in the second chapter of Philippians. And, and one of the things we got to catch is in this first chunk of Scripture, this is a recipe of how to have joy and the strength of the Lord in our life. And it starts with verse 1. Now, I want you to have your Bibles out. I do not want you to take my word for this. I want you to look at it in your Bible. Look at verse 1. We see that in this verse, he is challenging us to build on the right foundation. We have to have the right foundation to have joy. And if we don't have this right foundation, everything else I'm talking about today and everything practically in this series is useless if our foundation is not right. Look at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If you want to have the joy of the Lord, it has to start with a foundation and your encouragement needs to be that you are united with Christ. Every single person who believes on Jesus Christ, we need to be encouraged that we are united with him. That's where your encouragement comes from. But I think too many times in life, we we try to get our encouragement or our foundation or our self-worth or our identity from other things. Some of us don't deny that we are united with Christ, but we really gain more encouragement from our pedigree. We really may gain more encouragement from our paycheck. We really gain more encouragement from people's opinion of us. We we, we seem to gain more encouragement for the things that we have control over in our life. And yet, the foundation that Paul is giving to us to have real joy and to live a life of humility, we have to have the foundation and first take encouragement from being united with Christ. You know, uh, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you've had the day that could make the Guinness Book of World Records of the worst day in the history of humanity. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are still united with Christ, and there's room for encouragement there. Let's read on. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love. I'm not making this up. This is what God's Word says. If there's any comfort from his love. This should be a spiritual to us. It should be a a source of relief and comfort. I don't know if you ever have those days where you wake up and and you recognize as you look at your to-do list for the day that it's going to be a doozy of a day. Or you find yourself in the middle of the day and you thought it was going to be amazing, but life has hit you so hard. But when those moments, when we can recognize that my God loves me, it can be a No matter what you have done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter where you are at, God loves you. There's days that I wake up and I think of the challenges before me and it can weigh on me heavy. But I take some time to press into God's word. I take some time to pray and meditate on his truth. And it's as if there's a big, oh, when I declare and remember and hang on to the fact that my God loves me. No matter what the day holds, my God loves me. No matter what's going on in your life, your God loves you. This has to be a foundation that you are encouraged because you are united with him and you take comfort in his love for you. Read on what it says there in verse 1. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any 
comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit. As I shared earlier in our gathering, it's as if we need to be reminded again, as good as it is to have Jesus in the flesh right before us, he knows best. He says, it's better for me to go so that my spirit can be in you. Are you taking fellowship from the spirit? Another way to put this, this is a life that is led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. God never intended for you to do life all by yourself. He wants to have his spirit guide you and his fellowship in you be a foundation in your life. Finally, here in this verse, we see if there's any tenderness and compassion. If you wonder, is there anybody who has compassion for you? Is there anybody whose heart is tender for you? God has compassion for you. God has a tender spot for you in his life and his heart. In fact, when we begin to see God's compassion and tenderness for us, it calls us and challenges us to have that same kind of compassion and tenderness for somebody else. But life happens, and you're probably like everybody else. We get busy, and we begin to shift gears and we begin to think about ourselves, and we begin to worry about ourselves, and we don't have as much compassion we don't have as much tenderness for those around us because we're, we're fixated on what's happening in our life and friend that's the point when the door to joy closes it's this foundation that allows this life of humility to be possible that is a pathway for joy to come in now hang with me because we are diving into some good steak together I mean, there is rich meat here. This is not just pop opinion. This is not just good self-help talk. This is God's Word that's living and active. I want you to chew on it with me. I want you to just allow it to go across your spiritual taste buds. This first and foremost step is that we have to understand that there is a right foundation that we are building in Him. Encouragement from being united with Him. Comfort from His love. Fellowship in the Spirit. And tenderness and compassion from the Lord. But it goes on. Let's look at verse 2 through 4 again together. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, there is... A challenge not only to have the right foundation, but for us to live a life of humility, to let the joy of the Lord come flooding in our life, we have to make sure we're making these right choices. There are some choices that you and I have to make, and what we choose will either allow joy of the Lord to come in, or it will keep it out of our life. Joy is this blessing from the Lord. Intended to be a strength in your life, but pride will expunge it out of your life. This idea that I have got to be who I am and get what I deserve and to have this entitlement spirit, this pride, will push out the joy in your life. But the reverse is true. When we live humbly before the Lord, when we live a lifestyle of humility, it ushers in the joy of the Lord. Well, how do you know that? Well, one, it's in God's Word. Two, I've tried it. I've lived it. I begin to see what God does in me and through me when I allow him to be bigger than who I am. When I put myself in perspective to who he is, it humbles me. My foundation is strong. 
I'm encouraged because I'm united with him. I see his love for me. He begins to give me compassion and tenderness for others, but it doesn't stop there. I have to choose some things. Look at one of the things we have to choose to do. We see here, do nothing out of selfish ambition. We need to say no to selfish ambition. That's interesting to me that the scripture doesn't say, say no to ambition. This is not a call to say you should never ever want to get ahead. You should never ever want to do well. You should never ever have hopes and dreams or goals. You should never have any ambition in life. No, say no to selfish ambition. When your greatest desire to accomplish or to conquer or to achieve is centered on yourself, it'll kill your joy. And it's important to know that the world tells you the exact opposite. You want to have the best life? You want to have the the most joy in life? Get it your way, right away, right now. But it never works that way. There may be fun for a moment, but there is no lasting joy. And God is teaching us with a foundation and these right choices, joy can come flooding into our heart. A second thing that we're called to say no to, at least according to Scripture, is say no to vain conceit. That's not so much the attitude that says, what's in it for me, but it's more the attitude that says, who's noticing me? We don't ever deal with this, do we, church? We don't ever wonder who's watching me, who's noticing me, who who sees me. Oh, God, help us. The effort we spend to make sure that the little logo on our shirt or the insignia on our car makes people think something about us. The effort that we go to great lengths to make sure that somebody has the right opinion of us or we go to great lengths to make sure that they favorably view us in in one way or another can steal the joy out of our life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's sinful or wrong to, to want people to like you, but when that becomes the focus of your life, it will steal your joy every time. We have to choose to say no to selfish ambition and no to vain conceit. We need to allow our identity in Christ to be enough and live a lifestyle of humility. Not only do we need to say no to these things, we also need to say yes to a couple things. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, what? Consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to say yes to the importance and interests of others. When is the last time that your actions, you chose to say yes to the importance of somebody else over your own importance? To say yes to the interests of somebody else over your interest? And, and go another step further. When was the last time you did this for somebody who couldn't return the favor to you? Sometimes it's not so bad to scratch your back when I know you'll turn around and scratch my back. It's not so bad to look out for your interests when I know you're right in line to look out for my interests. But this is not what the scripture is teaching. This is talking to us about not having that selfish ambition. And I'm going to put others, people who couldn't even repay me, ahead of myself. This is that lifestyle of humility that opens the door for joy to come in. Well, so what? Why do I have to have joy? I'm kind of... Okay, I've made it through life this far, and it's kind of miserable, and that's just how life is. Grow up, pastor. Life's hard. 
Just grit your teeth and bear it. Friend, if that's your view of life, I want you to know there's something far better. I'm not making light of your situation. Life is hard, and there's times when we have to just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and responsibility, but life has joy in it. Jesus gives us life, and life to the fullest. It's not by denying the bad things, but it's having the joy of the Lord in our life. Now, right about here, my concern meter is off the charts that somebody is saying, that didn't work. I tried that. Follow the teachings of Jesus and you have joy. I follow the teachings of Jesus and I had trouble. I follow the teachings of Jesus and things got worse. Friend, I want you to know that if somebody has sold you a bill of goods that looks like potato soup, but they had mixed in something else, it's not supposed to taste this way. Jesus has a recipe for us, and he tells us the foundation has to be in him, our identities in him, and then there's things that you and I have to choose to do regardless of what Winnebago is parked in front of our view that we want to look at. Am I choosing to say no to my own selfish desires? Or as part of this cycle of of Depression in my life because I always keep putting what I want above everything else. Am I choosing to put my crippled addiction to the fickle approval of people over what God has for me? Am I choosing to say yes to others over myself? There is a recipe that Jesus gives us for authentic, true joy. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to try to pretend like nothing bad's happened in your life. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. It is real. It is there. Amen? That's good. I don't care who you are. That's good preaching. <coughs> See, when we consider others more important than ourselves, it begins to open up the doors for joy to come flooding in. Now, now, I think we can miss it on both sides. You know, humility is, is not just making yourself a lowly worm. Considering others better than yourself doesn't mean that you just beat up yourself. Well, I'm sure you're better than me because I'm a no good, nasty, rotten whoever. I mean, that may or may not be true of all of us, but I don't put you before me just by beating myself up or putting myself down. I live humbly by lifting you and the Lord up. It's not that I am so so horrible of a person that, that, well, you're just better than me. You're more important than me. No. God loves me. God's doing something in my life. But I'm going to choose to lift you up. I'm going to lift the Lord up because He is greater than I am. And what God wants to do in and through me to bless you is greater than what I could do in my own strength. And so we need to not err. And this false humility to just go around with this tiny, small self-esteem and say, well, I'm spiritual because I don't like myself. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says you lift somebody else up. Well, here's why this is dangerous. Because I could think I'm living in humility and all I have to do is beat myself up. But biblical humility, the only way I can be humble is when I lift you up. And even when I'm beating myself up, it's a form of selfishness because I'm fixated on how bad I am or all the problems that I am. And so I could be humble in that worldly way all by myself, just sitting in the corner, pouting how bad I am. can't believe it, how bad I am. But for me to have biblical humility, I have to be with you and I have to lift you up and, and, and serve you. This is a pathway to joy. It's a recipe of joy in our life. 
Some of you remember a lesson we learned as young children that joy is spelled Jesus, others, and you. That's pretty good theology, I think. When I put Jesus first, and then I put others, and then I put myself after that, it is opening up a door for the joy of the Lord to come in. Not only do we have to have a right foundation, there's choices that we have to make that open up joy to live a lifestyle of humility, but third and final, we need to follow the right example. Look at verse 5 through 11 with me. Your attitude should be the same is that of Christ Jesus. Friends, I don't know what we need to do with this sentence right here. Because I think a lot of times as professional Christians, we've come up with all kinds of reasons why this doesn't apply to us. Well, I just don't have that personality type. I, I just, you know, half Scottish and half Irish, like Pastor Brady, so I just, I, I'm not that calm all the time. You should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Well, I'm not the Son of God. I mean, I'm not perfect. I, I can't have a, a Christ-like attitude. I mean, who do you think that I am? You know what? I'm not one of those holier-than-thou people. What, what is Paul telling us? Sometimes, for the greatest of you, for those who are elected to a position, no, you, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus Those who are disciples should have the attitude of Christ. Those who are following Jesus should take on the characteristics of Jesus. This should wake us up. What example are we following? Are we allowing ourselves to use a benchmark of somebody or something lesser than Christ himself? If I'm going to be a disciple maker, and I'm going to be a disciple, those of you who joined us with our sister churches yesterday, we were reminded that we first need to sit at Jesus' feet and we need to soak up who he is. His attitude should be our attitude. You know what? These verses written here, 5 through 11, are pretty important. Listen to them. Your attitude should be that. Should, excuse me, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. These verses, I don't think they were written just to tell us who Jesus is, though they do that. They tell us a lot about who Jesus is. I think these verses are written for a very practical recipe to live life. This passage, in an incredible way, shares some great Christological truths, great truths about who Christ is. And theologians, those who study our understanding of God for thousands of years, have gone over this passage and with with great fine-tooth comb have begun to look at this great, deep theological truths of who Jesus is. And it tells us this, and this is true and it's important, but friend, don't miss it. This is not an academic lesson only. This is a practical recipe to live our life. Let's look at what Jesus did. I see at least four. There's probably more. Verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. If you're taking notes, write in there, release. Jesus let go. He released 
his entitlement to be God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are are the Trinity, the Godhead together. But Jesus released this right. Didn't consider it to be something to be grasped. This was a part of the, the formula for a life of humility. Friends, somebody here today, it's time that we just let go and release of what we feel like we are entitled to. This spirit of entitlement is robbing our joy. It's ripping it away from us. And the enemy is loving every minute of it because we are so fixated on doing God's work and doing great things. And the way he stops us is not through all this willful disobedience. He stops us because we're so excited about who we are. We're so excited about what we're entitled to. Joy is so much better than your own entitlement. Jesus' example says, if you want to live a life of humility, just release it. Let it go. What you think you deserve, what you think you're entitled to, just release it. Jesus goes on in an example of Christ in verse 7. Paul tells us he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Right in service. See, uh, some people think that humility is just denying your desire for greatness. But as we talked about earlier, if you want to be great, Scripture's really clear all throughout the New Testament. We see, you want to be great, serve somebody else. Put somebody else's interest first. So, release, let go of what you think you're entitled to. And serve somebody. Joy in life is a lot like a volleyball game. When you're serving, you're winning. When, when, when you stop, you drop the ball, and the other team gets the ball, and they start serving, and you're not doing any serving, you're losing at that point. But let this be a reminder, I am winning when I am serving. It's not bad to want to win, but just get the ball back and start serving. Somebody needs to wake up today and say, I may not have a lot of joy in my life because I don't even have the ball to serve. I need to start serving somebody else. I need to start getting involved in someone else's life. Jesus gave us an example when he let it go, when he released what he thought or what he did have a right to, and then he began to serve. This is a model for joy. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient most of the time. He became obedient when everybody was watching. He became obedient even unto death, as long as it was dignified. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This instant radical obedience is a part of the recipe for true joy. Friend, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm trying to buy all this stuff. Uh, Maybe I haven't been in church for a while and this sounds phony and this fake happiness of a Christian. You have had potato soup with the wrong stuff in it. You need to have the right recipe. And it's understanding that God has joy for you. And when we live in obedience to him, it opens the floodgate for joy to come in. When it comes down to the nitty gritty, living a life of humility is a life of instant obedience. Let's read on. Often we stop there. We release our entitlement. We have an attitude of serving. We become obedient. We just stop. But the reward comes next always. Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him 
to the highest place. I'm not suggesting today that when you live this model, this recipe, that you will be as powerful as Jesus or you'll have the name of Jesus in that way, but you will have a reward. It's one thing to be humble. It's one thing to be humble when we release to God. It's another thing to be humble when we serve. It's another thing to try to be humble when we're an obedient. But some of us, we miss the joy and it's stolen because as soon as there's a reward, we get pretty excited about ourselves again. It's just, you know what? Pastor Brady, we just want to give you some kind of achievement award for being a great leader. <laughs> I am pretty good. I guess I've lived a life well led. You know, why don't you just follow me <laughs> as I follow Christ? Don't lose your joy there. When the reward comes, and it will come, when you live out this, this model of life, there will be reward. You give it back to God. One of the things I'm learning as a pastor, there's things that are said to me or that I get that I don't deserve. It is not right. But there's things that are said to me or that come to me that I don't deserve. And it's not right. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And he's the one who equals it all out. And we begin to see this is opening the floodgate of joy in our life. And our final thought, and we'll be through, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up now. See, I think joy begins with these three words. Sometimes we get these three words confused. Joy, for some people, begins with these three words, work is over, then we're joyful. Some of you, you may think that joy comes when sermon is over. I can see it in some of your eyes. Some of you think that these three words is joy, dinner is served. In all seriousness, I think some think that joy comes with the three words, stocks are up, money is up. Others think that joy starts with, I got it. Some of you have to add a couple other words. I got it my way. But that's not what Paul tells us. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ, excuse me, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. See, joy begins with the three words when we understand that Jesus is Lord. My foundation is set right, my identity in Him, when I understand that He is my Lord. My choices begin to change, and I begin to let joy come in when I understand that Jesus is Lord. I can follow His example when I recognize that Jesus is Lord. This morning, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to God's Word today. We, we are so on time. If you're worried about being on time, just know that your pastor's heart is excited. We are like 60 seconds ahead of what I thought. Unbelievably on time. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, though I, I halfway like to set goals like that. But when there is joy and eternal life to the full on the line, who cares about five minutes? For somebody today... There is a reminder of freedom. There is maybe joy for the first time. Some of us need to come to this place where we examine our foundation. Our encouragement has been based on something other than being united with Christ. You need to know that Jesus loves you and this is your foundation. 
You need to know that your foundation in Him and Him alone is what starts the joy path. Some of us, there's choices. We, we know that Jesus loves us, but we have chosen to put self above everything else, and it is blocking joy. Others, we need to examine who is our model, who are we following, and we need to say, Jesus, would you help me sit at your feet, and today, would you open the floodgates of joy? He may or may not move the Winnebago. He may or may not give you what you're asking for, but he always will give you his joy, and he wants to give you the perspective that he is your foundation, that you can choose him over other things, and his example is pure and perfect. So here's what I'd like us to do in this next few moments. we got plenty of time here together. I want you to get in the position that helps you pray and worship best. Some of you might want to come and kneel at the altar and pray and worship. Others may want to just stay seated. Some of you may want to stand. But, but I want us collectively together to release the joy of the Lord in our life by declaring these words Jesus is Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Master. He's my Prince of Peace. And He is Lord to me. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. He is still the Sovereign King of Kings. And His joy can be unleashed in your life if you want it. Don't settle for powdered sugar potato soup and just tell your face to keep pretending and just pretend like this is what Christianity is supposed to be. Exchange it and say the recipe's wrong. Jesus, I need to get it right with you. But let's worship him now and let's ask him to take and not let us just hear a sermon, but God, would you make good on your word again and transform our heart as we sing, let this be your prayer.